Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'd also like to welcome you. I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and I'm uh, so glad that you're worshiping with us. And we are starting our series. It's going to lead us all the way up to Easter. Easter will be three weeks from today. Uh, but, I already, but I would just already be asking you, maybe you already just be thinking and praying about maybe some people in your life that, um, that God might would put in your path to invite and come be a part of uh, our worship that day. Easter is one of the two biggest times of the year as far as when people kind of have their mind around a, a need and desire to connect or reconnect with God. And so a lot of that's going to happen because you kind of step out a little bit of your comfort zone and just invite some people. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by the number of people who would uh, be happy to do that with you. And so I encourage you. Uh, we'll do three services that day, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Uh, we got to make sure there's plenty of room for our kids. It's already a little bit during this service, a little bit uh, a little bit thick back there, and we want to make sure that we've got plenty of space available for, for everyone. That's going to be in a few weeks, so we're looking forward to that. And um, as we were talking about what we want to, uh, Mark and I were talking about what we want to do for this um, uh, Easter series, we decided to end up just kind of talking about these different types of evangelism methods. And evangelism is kind of these ways that you communicate the, the, the gospel to somebody. And, you know, I was, I was thinking about all of this, and you know, one of the most popular ones and least effective would, would be church signs, right? That somehow you can think with a really inspirational or really annoying or really just downright offensive sometimes uh, church sign you can communicate. Um, there was a time, uh, like when I was a college student, that it was not unusual, would not have been weird or even necessarily offensive to actually walk somebody through like a little pamphlet, like a little tract, right? But if somebody approached you right now with a tract, I mean, what like what would you do, right? You would... You would, you would beat them with something or call the police or run or, or something. But there was a time where it really was. It was really effective. Um, one of my favorites, I think, also is um, uh, evangelism by uh, graffiti and vandalism. So you're sitting there, and you're in a public bathroom, and you think, you know what? The best thing I could do is to, is to etch out Jesus saves here on the side here, and, and people are going to find Jesus like crazy. And then maybe if we spray painted that on, this is even better, spray painted on the overpass, right? Nothing says you should follow Jesus like vandalism. And so, and, and just think of the number of hits you're getting a day. I mean, thousands upon thousands, right? There's a great one now. Uh, 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 people do, where you kind of draw out a bridge illustration. If you've never seen that, you should try to find somebody who, um, who knows it, show it to you. It's a really great just illustration of, of what it means that, Jesus died for you and, and what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. But really old school, and this is back when I was a, when I was a teenager, there's a thing called the Romans Road. And there are very few people around old enough or churchy enough to have remembered that. And what it was, it was just kind of, there were these, there, all you had to do really was to remember these kind of four key passages from the book of Romans. And if you just kind of walk through these four different passages, um, it would kind of explain really what it means to become a Christian and what the gospel means and why Jesus came, what is sin, all these different things. It was called the Romans Road. It was kind of cool. And so as Mark and I were just kind of talking about it, it's like, what if we just kind of, what if we did that leading up to Easter? Uh, what if we just kind of took a, took a few weeks and just kind of walked through these kind of foundational passages through Romans that really can, kind of made a road out of it, you know, this, this, that, that takes us on this path as we journey together towards Easter to really understand, so, man, why, why Easter is such a big deal? What does it really mean? Why, why do we celebrate 
this guy's death and his resurrection? What, what, what really happened? And what does it really mean to become a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? And so this will, you know, if so for some of you here may, may, may not know or may not as yet really chosen to follow Christ. And um, and these next few weeks will be um, hopefully really illuminating for you. And for those of us who are following Christ, our hope is that this will just be a really good time of reflection to really get our hearts and minds around the awesomeness of the celebration of that weekend. And so uh, we're going to start today in Romans chapter 3. And there's one kind of key verse that some of you may be familiar with, that, uh, Romans 3.23, for all ascend and fall short of the glory of God. It's a relatively uh, well-known passage. And I was like, well, that's the verse for today. And I was like, well, we should just talk about that verse. And then I look at kind of the, the verses around it, and I'm like, well, maybe we should, just, maybe we should like do these four or five verses. And the next thing you know, I'm looking at my thing. I got like 15 verses here, which is a lot. I mean, it's a lot, it's, it's a lot to watch somebody read. I get that. Um, it's not. It's not really made for TV. Not that this is TV, but even still, it's. It can. Be, but I, I, there's. It just the the argument, the theological argument that Paul's making here in this passage, I think is really important for us. And so we are going to start in verse nine. Uh, we'll stop a little bit, make sure we understand what we're talking about. But I think um, this is a really great passage. And what he's talking about here, he's 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 interacting with the Roman Church, which is a mix of. Jewish people who have become Christians and, and non-Jewish, Roman people who have become Christians. And so he's kind of walking them all the way through the gospel. And at this point, he's kind of trying to address the question, does being Jewish give you an advantage over somebody else? Because you kind of, you understand who God is and you have the law and you've been trying your whole life to follow the law. Does, does, does being a Jew and a, a, a follower of the law, does that get you a few steps closer to God? And so Paul himself was a Jew, and so he's kind of addressing this question of whether or not this group has an advantage over another with respect to to sin and having a relationship with God. So we'll pick it up in verse 9 of Romans chapter 3. What shall we conclude then? Do we, talking about Jews, do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin, as it is written. So now he's about to go through several different Old Testament verses. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands God. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. Another one. The poison of vipers is on their list. This is multiple different verses from different places. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So Paul looked at the Old Testament, found the most inspirational verses that he could possibly find, and just kind of put them all together there in a list, right? I mean, one after another, he's like, he's like, man, you think being a Jew is an advantage? Man, here's what God used to say to, to the Jews back in the day. He wasn't just addressing the world at large. He was specifically addressing Jewish people. He's like, man, on your own, there's not a one of you who gets it. There's not a one of you on your own that is pursuing me. There's not a one of you who's doing right. 
Sin has kind of overwhelmed every one of you. So you think being Jewish is an advantage, but look at what God himself is saying. Verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. So that's the argument he's making. He's like, listen, this, what these passages we're looking at were directed to Jewish people and so that they would, so that every mouth may be silenced. So you think you're bragging and God put these verses in here so you shut up about it. That you would not think that you are, are somehow better than other people around you. And so that the whole world will know and be held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For, here's our verse, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he's saying you think having this law gives you some sort of advantage over people who don't have it, but you actually misunderstand it, and he, and he addresses this. And it's a pretty common misunderstanding that Paul is addressing all throughout the New Testament. You think that somehow you have this law and you're trying to follow most of it and you're trying to do your best, that somehow that gives you a heads up. But it doesn't really, it doesn't like make you a better person to follow some of the law. You're still a sinner, and really all it does is it kind of clues you in a little bit better. You know better what you're not doing and what you're supposed to be doing. And this is what you know. Like the law helps you understand that you are a sinner. It doesn't help you not be a sinner. It just points it out. Because everybody, all the, even, even the best of the Jews, like you're following 95% of the law. 99% of the law. They're only breaking 1% of the law. You, you mean you know what you call somebody who only breaks 1% of the law? Lawbreaker, right? I mean, it, you know, and so really all it does, it, it's a heightening of your awareness. You should be more aware of your sin. It doesn't make you, doesn't make you better. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is not a particularly profound piece of information. My guess is it will not surprise you that the Bible teaches this, and I believe it, and that we're talking about it today. It's not particularly profound, but I think if we'll let it sink in a little bit, it can become a little more profound for us. And it's a very simple, basic truth of life that everyone is a sinner. Everyone. Everyone is a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. Which I like the way that it's worded because it gives pastors like me a, an easier way of saying really what that means. Really what that means when it says that everyone is a sinner, really your takeaway from that should be you are a sinner. Y you specifically. Like, I'm pointing at you. Right? You are. You. Sometimes I, I think we like the idea of, yeah, everybody, everybody's a sinner. And somehow in our brain, we, we can imagine that it doesn't particularly apply to us. Yeah, everyone's a sinner. Every one of you is a sinner. No, 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 Charlie, don't be ridiculous. I would never think that that doesn't apply to me. I know that I'm a sinner. 
Like, okay, you know that you are a sinner. Could you right now, I know that you wouldn't because this would be awkward because we're in public, and you know, some of you don't even know me that well. But I came to you, he's like, okay, yeah, you're a sinner. Can you enumerate for me some of your sins? Are there some things, some bad things you have done on, in your life on purpose? Or, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, come on, dude. I mean, I, I, I mean, it, it. I'm not a sinner like that. I mean, I mean, we're, we're all sinners, but you talk about me doing bad things, that's different. No, it's not different, it's the same. And that is true of you. And it reminds me of some things that happen sometimes in marriage counseling. And I, and, I, and I say marriage counseling because I don't want to describe that this happens in my own marriage, right? It's safer for me to say that this happens to other people's marriages, not to mine, okay? Right? Where um, you're, you're having conflict... And um, one of the people in the conflict is like, it, it's always the other person's fault. Every bad thing they've ever done is justified by something else that the, your spouse has done. Well, sure, maybe I did this, but I did this because you're like this, and you did this, this, and this, and really, what I did makes sense. And then I think, well, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's your fault. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah, I know. Can you name a time? I think sometimes we're willing to agree to the fact that we're sinners in the abstract. But you need to understand that, that um, you being a sinner is not uh, an abstract theological concept. It, it's, it's just true. You are a sinner because you have committed willful sin in your life. And... Um, you know, we're not going to hang out here all day. We're certainly not going to hang out here all month, right? I mean, this is like the first part of a uh, one sermon of four weeks, right? And it's, you know, I'm not trying to beat you into submission here five minutes in, right? But I, I think it's important. I think it's important for us as we kind of work our way through our understanding of the gospel. The gospel, which it, it, what it means, it means good news, right? Good news, the good news is good news because of the bad news. Jesus saving you um, is only good news if you're in need of rescue. And I think it's important. Some of us for the first time, and some of us because of just some important Easter reflection that we need to do, to reflect on the fact that, yes, me, specifically, I am a sinner. And even though it is... You know, not likely that there are many of us here who are Jewish that grew up following the Jewish law in any, in any tangible way. There's still the same kind of thing where I think that some of us feel like maybe we have an advantage. Well, I'm at church, dude, so that gives me an advantage, right? Church people, they're, they're a little bit better off, aren't they? Church people. And I grew up going to church. I was in church all the time. I know all the church things. Is that... That makes me a little bit better. I mean, sure, we're all sinners, but I'm less sinner. And heaven forbid that one of you think that somehow being an American somehow gives you an advantage in the eyes of God, because it does not. But some of us think, because of some status that we have, that we're just a little bit better. And Paul makes it very clear, we are all in the same situation. We are all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. But here's another thing that I think that happens to us 
when, when the, some bad applications that we make from this idea of kind of the universal nature of sin. Um, and I was uh, reminded of the great theologian Dash from The Incredibles. Um, you know, there's a group of superheroes, and they're trying to hide the fact that they're superheroes. And Dash and his dad, Mr. Incredible, they're, they're try- they want him, Dash, to be able to show off a little bit because he's special. To which mom says, everyone's special. To which the angry retort is what? If everyone's special, then no one's special. You're familiar with his theological works. It's great. If everyone's special, no one is. And so I say everyone's a sinner. And I think then I put some, well, if everybody's a sinner, then sin really isn't that big of a deal. Because it's something that we all do. And so if we're all on the same playing field, then it's really not that big a deal. And then it becomes this game that we play in our mind about relative sinfulness. I'm not as sinful as this. I'm not as sinful as that. And we start to create a different standard for how sinful is too sinful. But the standard is in the verse, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not only is everyone a a sinner, but everyone falls short of God's standard. Everyone falls short of the standard. Everyone. And the standard is described there. The standard is described as the glory of God. So are you as good as God is glorious? Are you as good as God is good? Are you as good as God is awesome? Are you as good as God is amazing? Are you as good as God is impressive? Are you as good as that? Well, Charlie, well, no. Now you're just being ridiculous. Of course, of course no one is that good, but no, but nothing. Maybe there's a, there's, there's a comma but coming a little bit later in the message, but it, 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 it ain't there. Not it. And we have this thing, we just can't get over this idea that we invented it, by the way. There's no biblical justification for it at all. You, we collectively made this up, but we just cannot get over the fact that God has some sort of bell curve. Right? That he's just kind of, he's kind of putting us all out there. It's like, well, your sin, your sin, your sin's not this bad. And we kind of draw it out. And somewhere God's got a pass-fail line. 50%, 60%, 70%, somewhere in there, whoop. And it doesn't really matter how bad a sinner you are, it just matters how bad the sinner everybody else is, right? It's like the thing with the, I don't have to outrun a bear, right? You ever heard that? You're like, 
the bear comes and you, and you start running. It's like, man, you can't outrun that bear. Man, no, I got to outrun the bear. I just got to outrun you, right? Um, I don't have to be great. I just have to be better than you so that when God makes his little bell curve. And if that were true, which it's not, I mean, what the best strategy, the best sermons would be, come on, let's just all agree that we're going to sin as much as possible. Right? We're all just going to be as bad as we possibly can, and then we draw the curve, we'll all just be fine. Because it's that one dude, right, that wrecks the curve. <laughs> Mr. Smarty Pants Genius Boy made 100, and now none of us, none of us are okay. But the reality of it is, the standard has already been set, the greatness and the glory of God. And we fall short of that. And we've invented this other idea that we wish were true, and we're coming into to, to, to God uh, in a group from class. We all know we failed the test. And we're deciding what is the best strategy that we can have to convince the teacher to curve the test. And you've got all your arguments. Okay? Curving the test. You, you missed the question. I'm going to give you the points for questions you didn't miss. You missed it. And we, we may want it to be true. But it's not true. Everyone falls short of God's standard. Now, if we were a different kind of church, if I were a different kind of person, you know, maybe we would just kind of end it there, right? With those really nice inspirational passages that Paul quoted and me telling you what sinners you are and how a desperate situation we're in. Again, if I were different, right? I, I wish sometimes that like I had longer fingers, like I, so I could do the preacher finger wag at you, right? But look, man, look at that little 12-year-old boy hand. I mean, that finger, that finger's not intimidating anybody. Hey, you, you're a sinner. And I, I don't really have the voice for it. It's a little, a little too high, right? I, I, can't, I can't really intimidate you. I mean, I, I could try, I guess, make a finger extender and put on the preacher voice. I could do it, I guess, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But like I said... if we really understand how bad the bad news was, it makes the good news all the better. And so what we're going to do over the course of this series is we're going to kind of look as we go through this Romans road, we're going to look at one particular aspect of the gospel in depth, but then we'll all make sure we pull out and look at the big picture and see exactly um, how this fits into the big picture of what God's doing. And I think Paul himself recognizes that this passage in Romans 3 has taken a particularly negative tone about sin and life and who God is and who you are with respect to Him. But you'll find this to almost always be true in the Scripture. No matter how negative, no matter how bad the passage has get, get, there's always a comma. There's always a comma. Sometimes it says but, sometimes it says therefore. Is it also, this, this one starts with and. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Comma. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We are all in this awful situation together the same where we have fallen short of the standard that God has given us. We're all in that place. Comma. Everyone also 
has access to God's great grace. Everyone is a sinner. Everyone falls short of God's standard. And everyone has access to God's great grace. In the same way that we have all fallen short of God's standard, we all have access to the grace that God has given us. And so we all may be in this, what seems like a hopeless situation together. It's not hopeless because everyone here has the same availability, this great thing that God did through His Son, Jesus Christ. So let's go back, let's go back to this verse, verse 24. As, you know, one of my favorite things to do is sometimes some of the best verses in Scripture follow the popular verse. Like, you should totally read John 3.17 sometimes. It's a great verse, but no one makes it that far, right? You're just reading the one verse, right? There's just, there's, and this is a great example of that. This is, a, this is a powerful verse, and I've been reflecting on it all week. It's like, man, this is great, and they're going to they're gonna love that we, we didn't stop at 23 and went to 24. And then the more I've reflected on it, it's like, man, is, could there be a churchier-sounding verse than this? And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. There's so much church words in there. You kind of look, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus, good, sin, bad stuff. God, love me. Yes, good. But there's actually a lot of really awesome things here. But we just kind of blur past some of these words that just kind of... They only mean things in church world. And I think it's important for us, if we're going to reflect on the awesome thing that Jesus Christ did and how good the good news of the gospel is, we need to make sure we understand what this is. We'll start with the word freely. We all understand what free is, right? Free is easy. We understand that. And whatever it is, this thing that God has done for us in this, in this sinful state that we find ourselves, it's free. It's not going to cost you anything. This is something that God did for you for free. But what did he do? Well, let's start right here. He, 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 he justified you. You've been, you've been justified. Justified, shorten it up, justify, just, right? Just, you know, means like you're in good standing with the law. And so to justify something is to take something that was bad and to make it good. You understand this? You've, you've said this to someone that you're fighting with. They do something stupid and you say that was stupid and then they give you seven reasons why stupid's not stupid and then you say you're trying to justify yourself right which means you're trying to take something bad and make it good well that's what it said this is what jesus does you're bad you're a sinner you have fallen short i'm going to take a lawbreaker i'm going to take a sinner i'm going to take the person that's fallen short and for free i'm going to turn the lawbreaker into a not a lawbreaker I'm going to take the bad and make it good. And I'm going to do it for free. He's going to do it for free. How? He's going to do it free by His grace. By His grace. And what grace is, is doing something good for no reason. He didn't do the good thing because you're good. He didn't do it because you're going to do something for Him. He did it for free because He's good. So I'm going to take you, lawbreaker, and make you a not-lawbreaker, and for free, I, and because I'm good, I'm going to do this for you. How? Through redemption. And redemption is a transactional thing. Something is, someone is in debt, someone is in slavery, right? You redeem slaves. So 
Someone is in some sort of debtor's prison of some kind and I redeem them by paying their debt for them and they get released from prison. So it's a transaction. You owe a debt that you are unable to pay and he pays that debt for you. So he freely pays for you because he is good to turn the not to lawbreakers into not lawbreakers. That's what Jesus Christ's death did for you. For free, because he is good. He has paid the price for you to redeem you, to get you out of your current situation, to turn you from lawbreaker to not lawbreaker, to take something that's bad and to make it good, to take something that is a sinner and make it worthy of the glory of God. Not because of anything that you did, not because of any good that you have, but freely by His grace He has taken you and He is giving you His worthiness. So it's important, I think, for us to reflect on the seriousness of our sin. Not because we need to be punishing ourselves again. Not because I want you to, 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 to know how bad you are. But reflect on how bad the situation was. Because Jesus himself said this. The person that knows that they have been forgiven a lot is going to be a lot more grateful. And we will become this Easter season significantly more grateful the more realistic we are willing to be about how bad our situation was with God because of our sin. So I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. I'm not trying to bring guilt and shame into your life. I'm trying to highlight the goodness of the redemption of God that justified you freely by His grace by making sure that we have a sober mind about the situation that we were in. All the better of what God did for us through Jesus Christ the more we understand that. So for some of us here, we may be still in the process of trying to understand that. We may not really have fully accepted this free gift that God has offered us through Jesus Christ. And our hope and prayer for today and for this reflection leading up to Easter that this would be your time to really fully make this awesome gift that God has given you to make it personal to you. And that this Easter season would be the one that changes your life forever. So please, I pray that you would do that. That you would accept this gift that is being offered to you freely by God. But for those of us who have, I'd encourage you, let, let this kind of be step one on your Easter road. Where you are reflecting deeply and appropriately about the situation apart from Christ that you were in. The seriousness of sin. The seriousness of what it means to fall short of God's glory. But don't hang out there too long. And then immediately go to the, great, the greatness of God and the amazing gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. So as always, we have lots of ways to kind of have some time to reflect. We'll be worshiping. You can do that as you're, as you're singing. Our prayer team is there in the back. We'd love to pray with you if you need some prayer and encouragement this morning. Communion's available. Uh, you don't have to be a member here, just a follower of Christ. You can do that. A great way to remember and reflect on Jesus' bodily sacrifice for us.
There's prayer candles, there's a cross, we have opportunities to give. Lots of different ways for us to take some time and spiritually reflect. Let's get our hearts on this road that is taking us to Easter as we reflect and think and celebrate the greatness of what God did for us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that we don't have to sit here and just hear bad news. God, I thank you that you did not leave us in a state of falling short. God, I thank you for your great grace. I thank you for the word free. I thank you for paying a price to redeem me. And God, in justifying, making me right. And so, God, I pray that we would be sober and realistic about where our hearts and lives were. And then, and then that we would greatly celebrate your goodness and the sacrifice and love of your Son, Jesus.